You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, Nehemiah chapter number four, if you would please. And I want to begin reading in verse number one. Um, before I read these first four verses, uh, if you'll notice, the very first word in chapter four, verse one is, but. But. Can I tell you, there's a lot of buts in the Bible that are good. You know, in other words, uh, the, the Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air, uh, and so forth. But it says, but God, who was in, rich in mercy with his great love. So that, that's a, a good but. But this one's not so much. In the first couple chapters of the book of Nehemiah, God has been blessing tremendously. Number one thing you need to know about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was not a preacher. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He's a man that found out that there was a need. When he heard the need, it broke his heart. And he said, you know what, God? If you'll let me, I'll go do something about that need. He had a very cushy job, but he left that to go accomplish this work to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down. Uh, the Jews have been in captivity in Babylon, now in Persia for hundreds of years. Uh, the temple had been rebuilt about 10 years previously by Ezra. Now the walls are being rebuilt, going to be rebuilt. Now, so he goes, uh, chapters 2 and 3, man, these people got to work. There was a need. They got to working. God was blessing. And we were encouraged by Nehemiah a couple of weeks ago when we preached about this. He cared enough to act. Uh, he, along with a group of others, realized their purpose. They acted on God's promise. And they began to experience the Lord's provision and the ensuing progress. And to me, uh, that's very relatable because that's what we've seen here. Uh, Nehemiah came in here and he, he led the thing, but it was a leader-leader type philosophy there. He got in there and he worked right along with them and they together took responsibility for the areas that they could work on and where they could contribute. And folks, I thank God for a group of people that God has raised up here to build and to work and to contribute. And man, hasn't the Lord blessed uh, so much over these years? And it was so much like here in the book of Nehemiah. But in chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, "But, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of, of the rubbish which are burned? Now, we could take time to preach about each of these mocking statements, um, but I may highlight one or two as we go through. But verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down uh, their stone wall. And so I want to try to preach on this thought today, warring and winning in the work. Warring and winning 
in the work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your promise and Your power and for Your calling and and for what You've placed. God, You've placed, I believe, every person that's here right now, I believe each one is here for such a time as this. God, if there's any that don't know You as Savior, God, You've placed them here. You've brought them here this morning that they may hear the Gospel and that they may have the opportunity to trust Christ. And for those of us that are saved, God, You have a place for us uh, right now in the work of God. And, and I pray that You'll help us to be encouraged in the fight and encouraged in the finale. Uh, Lord, and we'll thank You for that, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So they were indeed doing a great work. Chapter 4 verse 19 mentions the great work that they were doing. Chapter 1 verse 5 says that they were doing this work for a great God. So there was a great work going on for a great God. Uh, God, and again, has raised us up in a similar manner. One of the great things, and to me, I wanted it to be kind of our theme for this year, but I believe it ought to be the theme for that the driving force for our church is making a difference. Making a difference. Making a difference in lives. Making a difference in communities. All the different communities that are represented here. The neighborhoods, the homes. Making a difference. These people were making a difference. Uh, but now they face another certainty. And that certainty is this. They've had uh, the, the they, they realized their purpose. They had God's promise. They had the Lord's provision. They had progress. But folks, then they had problems. They had problems. Anybody have problems? Anybody, uh, anybody from time to time sense that uh, as, as God blesses that some of those problems increase uh, and and you know, one of the first places they'll start is in some of your closest relationships, really starting with your relationship between the Lord, but then they begin to manifest themselves uh, in your home and in your marriage. And if, if God can try to break up a home or bring discord within, not, not God, but if Satan can bring discord within the home and, and break up the home, then he's going to do a great, he's going to be working effectively. So we need to recognize the fact that we do have an enemy and that we do have a battle. And so, this, what we learn here from various passages in God's Word, by the way, whatever it is that we learn from various passages throughout the Word of God, remember this, that they can be found in principle throughout the Bible. In other words, we have here them building a wall, them doing a work. Well, the enemy doesn't like it, so all of a sudden the battle intensifies. The, the, the opposition rises up. Well, you think about it. They were in the Garden of Eden. Satan came along. Everything was good. Satan came along. It's a principle. Uh, uh, man, Abel was doing just fine. Loving the Lord, worshiping the Lord. But then Cain came along and, uh, and opposed and killed Abel. And so, and not only that, but we see other examples. We see Joseph and his brothers. We see Israel was going along, going into the land, marching with the Lord. But then the Bible says, but then came Amalek. Uh, there was a nation that rose up. And we could go on and on. Jesus and the Pharisees, uh, the church, the New Testament church, and the opposing religions that rose up against them. And we should not think ourselves exempt from this. It's a principle. It's a biblical principle. Therefore, it's a life principle. It's just like when God said, God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, and He said, hey folks, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. I'm bringing you into the land of milk and honey. And so God gave them a promise. But between the promise 
And the provision was, you guessed it, a problem. A problem. There was a wilderness. There was opposition. There was challenges. Uh, Opposition is not only an evidence, and by the way, opposition is an evidence that God is blessing. Don't get discouraged when you have opposition. That means you're gaining ground. (laughs) That means you're making a difference. So opposition shouldn't discourage us. It it, It shows that God is blessing. And I'll tell you something else. It's an opportunity for us to grow. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, Pastor, we are having a great service today. And man, the spirits are high and it's just so exciting and so great. And that's exactly why I'm preaching a message warning us and trying to get us uh, cognizant and and on guard against the battles that we face. Because here's the thing about Satan. Sometimes he comes like a lion. But I'm telling you, the way he's going to be coming and the way he is coming against us currently is like a serpent. He works as a lion, but He also works as a serpent, a snake. He's sneaky. He just plants these little thoughts in your head. And I'm telling you, begins to bring divisiveness. Again, as I said, begins to bring trouble in your home and your marriage and your relationship between other believers. And if we're not careful, we fail to realize and we fail to detect what these thoughts we're having or where they originate from. See, the battle is in our minds and we've got to make sure that we are thinking correctly. We need to catch our thoughts. And we need to learn, like the old saying says, to learn from time to time to say, perish the thought. Not thinking that. That's not correct. I'm going to think what God says. And we'll see that in just a moment. But difficulties are an opportunity for us to grow. The difficulties that came to the work brought out the best in Nehemiah and the people. See, Satan wanted to use these problems as weapons to destroy the work, but God used them as tools to build His people. See, one thing I do not want you to do, oh man, the devil's fighting, and the devil this, and the devil the other thing. Well, I can acknowledge the devil's fighting, but you know what I'd like to focus on a little bit more than that? God's winning! Amen. Amen. God's given the victory. Amen. And because sometimes we, oh my gosh, the devil and Satan. And, well man, he's awfully great, isn't he? You talk about him a whole lot. No, he's real. He's present. He's working. But man, what you'll see with Nehemiah is there was times he, he, he scarcely even acknowledged the enemy. He'd have to acknowledge them to a certain extent, but he just kept on working. And by God's grace, that's what we need to do. We need to keep on working and giving glory to God. Satan wants to use opposition as a weapon and different weapons to destroy the work of God, but God will use them as tools to build His people. He'll, he'll, he'll let, and I thank God for this, He'll let those times come into our life to where maybe our minds do get right. And all of a sudden, have you ever had it? Maybe you've even had it here recently. And I mentioned the home again. But man, there's a, there's a husband and a wife and there's conflict. And man, there's just arguments and you don't even know why you're arguing for and you're getting tired of each other and, and all this is going on. And I thank God so much for my sweet, sweet wife to the times that she'll come to me and say, Jesse, Satan's just trying to fight us. Satan's trying to battle us and we need to unite basically, amen. We need to continue to stand together and recognize what's going on here because that's what happens in our homes. But God gives the victory. See, Satan, because once we do that, guess what? Now we're even stronger. We're recognizing His working and God begins to strengthen us through that. And so Satan tries to use these problems as weapons to destroy, but God uses them as tools to build. In June of 1950, the Korean War began. 
When, U- when U.S.-led Allied forces uh, intervened against the Soviet-backed North Korean, North Korean army that invaded South Korea. The battle, when once the, the U.S. and the Allies got involved, the, at first the battle was very difficult. No, the North Koreans had taken Seoul, Korea, had taken the capital. And it was a very tough battle initially. But some very good strategic decisions gave them the edge, drove the North Korean communists out of Seoul, and from that point on, they began to drive them all the way up to the, the line that divided North and South Korea, the river there, with relative ease. They were marching on. All of a sudden, the strategy changed. And they said, you know what? Rather than just... Uh, ra- rather than just you know, beat back the communists out of North Korea, we could just take Korea. We could take the entire peninsula back from the communists. But, and, and by the way, that began to be evident, and I believe that it was also a very real possibility. I believe that that could have been done. Uh, but uh, if, if they would have approached it as the, the way they were instructed to, uh, Truman at the time worried about the Chinese getting involved. But the leader of, uh, of the offensive in Korea was Douglas MacArthur. Douglas MacArthur of World War I fame, World War II fame. He's, you know, the famous, I shall return him, so forth. A great general in many ways, but he made a major oversight. He dismissed any thought of the Chinese, he dismissed them entirely. He called them peasants, they were just peasants and poorly armed farmers. They have no tanks. They have no significant air force. What are they against the United States Army and our allies? What are they? Now Truman, the leadership was being very cautious. They said, we need to be careful about this Chinese, the threat of the Chinese. MacArthur's just totally dismissive of them. In November of 1950, Douglas MacArthur came to launch what was to be the final offensive. In November... At the end of November, they had a nice uh, Thanksgiving meal brought in all across the lines, all the way up to the spearhead. And he said this, we should be home by Christmas. Leading up to the battle, uh, the, uh, the, the Marines marched north. As they began to march north, right through North Korea, they would encounter some uh, resistance along the way. They didn't know if it was North Korea. They thought it was North Koreans, but in fact it was the Chinese. And the Chinese army would come out and they would take some shots at the United States Army. We would respond with a strong uh, presence. They would retreat. They would come out again the next day. Some light artillery. Retreat. And you know what they're thinking as they go along? These guys are wimps. These guys can't stand up to us. And so in spite of the uh, warnings from high command, MacArthur said, let's just keep pressing on. This is easy. But what he did not realize was that they were being led and baited into the, into the area of the Chosin Reservoir. And by the time they got there, these 30,000 Marines would be totally surrounded by, by somewhere close to 200,000 uh, Chinese soldiers. It was a trap. The whole time it was a trap. And, and so, three, and from the time they were reaching the Chosin Reservoir, they figured they had three days before this thing was over. 
Three days, they figured. Well, on November the 28th of 1950, they, at, at, right in the middle of the night, they experienced their first attack. Uh, and they, many were killed. Uh, they realized that, man, there's trouble. They, they captured Chinese soldiers from several different regiments. And they said, man, there's got to be a lot of guys out here. See, when we go, as we continue to work, as we continue to build, as we continue to proceed, we need to continue to take ground. We need to continue to do a work for God. But we also need to have a measure of caution. And listen to this, support one for another as we head into the battle. After that first night, Commander Don Faith, he was commander of all those in the Chosen Reservoir area, recognized the situation and he asked for reinforcements. He said, we're in trouble here. We need some help. We're in a real fight here. We're in a real battle. And, and, and we need some help. General Edward Amon mockingly asked, this was after they were attacked that night, many Marines were killed, asked, he says, Would you, are you just going to let a few Chinese laundrymen stop your advance? You're going to let just some Chinese laundrymen stop you from achieving your objective? And I began to think about that. You know, I, I thought about that. Because, and by the way, let me tell you this. The evil Mao Zedong, Mao of China, he was determined to totally annihilate the 1st Marine Division. He was not interested in winning a battle there. He was interested in killing every last one of those Marines. That was the objective. That was the goal. He used MacArthur's overconfidence and arrogance to draw him in, and then they were surrounded and attacked. So instead of three days, over the next three weeks, the Marines bravely fought their way back to the coast, but not without great casualties and harm and effort. Uh, the, the final, the, the war finally ended July of 1953. Wow. Some two and a half years later. I believe if that war would have been approached correctly, we could have truly freed the Korean Peninsula. Uh, but there was some arrogance that got in the way. And you know what I thought about? Whenever Don Faith was asking for some help and he was mocked by his general, or when the commander, I say Don Faith, was asking, he was asked by, when he asked General Edward Almond for some help, you know what I think as we advance? I think we need to take seriously the problems that each other face. I think we need to take each other's battles seriously. Yeah, Somebody says, hey, I'm going through a tough time. Oh, well, suck it up. Are you going to let something like that stop you? Keep on marching on with the rest of us. It's all good. We've got it. No, you know what we need to do? We need to supply the reinforcements. Amen? We need to, we need to come alongside and help. We need to be burdened for one another. We need to care for one another. We need to proceed. We need to proceed. We need to march on, but we need to do some with some measure of alertness. The Bible says, be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And based on these other Scriptures, you could say he's a serpent slithering around looking for any hole he could get into. See, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we are not ignorant of his devices. Church, we are not to be ignorant of Satan's tricks and of Satan's tools. These chapters, chapters 4 through 6, and I'm not going to read all that or anything, but I encourage you to do it later. But I just want to hit a couple things through these. These chapters present some of Satan's devices for opposing the Lord's work. And it also tells us how God's people can be steadfast and defeat the enemy. 
If, you, if we start building, we will be battling. And we are building and we are battling. At least Don Faith was willing to ask for some help even though he didn't get it. Child of God, let me tell you something. You need to ask for some help. Don't come in here just putting on your face and putting on some act like you're perfect and got it all together. If you need some help, you need to ask for some help. Guys, I'm struggling. And listen, I'm not saying that you have to be uh, get up here publicly and say, hey everybody, this is what I'm struggling with right now. But I'm telling you, there's some people around here that you can say, I need you to pray for me, brother. Sister, I need your help. I'm getting beat up here. Don't be getting beat up. Can you imagine if Don Faith, even though he didn't get his reinforcements, can you imagine how foolish it would be not to ask for reinforcements? But that's kind of how we are sometimes. We're under attack. Oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. Really? I'm here to help. Let's pray together. Let's strengthen one another in the battle. And so, be steadfast. And through chapters 4 and 6, it describes at least nine different tactics that the enemy uses to try to stop the work of the Lord. And I'll just give you a couple of them, then I'll stop and maybe uh, say a little bit more about a couple. But the Bible says, first of all, they attacked them with ridicule. That's what we read. They, they ridiculed them. They made fun of them. What are you ever going to be able to accomplish? That work you're doing is never going to work. Uh, I'll say we could say some things about each of the things they mocked. I want to just highlight one of those right now. It, it made fun of the rubbish that they were using in verse number, at the end of verse number 2. They were rebuilding with the stones that had been built with previously. As we build the work of God, as we work, and I should say as God builds this work, and we are the workers that are helping put the walls together, guess what? We're not going off somewhere uh, to New York or L.A. somewhere and getting these new polished stones. You know what we're doing? God's got some stones for us already. Amen? Amen. He's got some truths for us already. Now, we're not interested in uh, the, 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 the musty stones of tradition that are offered by many either. But what we are interested in is building with the firm stones that will work. Did you know there's people today that said this will not work? Yeah. You cannot preach that book. You cannot preach that Jesus is the only way. You cannot stand on the, the truths of that book and hope to do anything for the Lord and build anything. Well, folks, they can mock and sneer all they want to, but by God's grace, we'll stay with the Lord, right? And trust Him to do the work. It's His work. But so there's ridicule. Verses 7 through 9, there were plots of war. Uh, this resulted in difficulties within the ranks. That led to discouragement. Ever get discouraged? That led to fear. We'll say more about that. It led to selfishness. See, it's not just enough to build the wall, we must also be on guard. Uh, notice what the Bible says here. Uh, well, I'll get there in just a second. When, when the attacks on the people failed, the enemy then began to work and to start, started to attack their leader, which is a whole other thing. Uh, chapter 6 goes into this. They tried to attack Nehemiah. They tried to get him to compromise. kind of goes to what we were just saying there. Listen, there's compromises that are good. If you've been married any amount of time and you're happily married, there's been some compromises made. There's good win-win compromises. But when it comes to compromising the truth of God's Word, there's no room for that. And we have no authority to do that. Uh, but they tried to tempt Nehemiah with compromise, slander, threats, intrigue. And we'll not be able to talk much about those things today. But I want to say they turned and began to attack him. But how was it that Nehemiah and these people overcame? Look at chapter 4, verse number 9. The Bible says, Nevertheless, 
We need to be a nevertheless church. Amen. Nevertheless Christians. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night. Or set a night against them day and night because of them. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. They turned to the Lord. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 17 of chapter 4. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone uh, with his own hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. They had a trial, some of them in one hand, and had a sword in the other hand. Uh, they were working and they were ready to war. They were working, but they were being cognizant that the enemy was out there. Notice uh, verse number 18. The Bible says, For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. But here's the thing that's pretty cool. How did they do it? Number one, they prayed. And they kept working. They overcame their fear. They looked to their God and remembered the great work that God had called them to do. See, the enemy attacks with fear. He attacks with fear. He attacks with discouragement. And they overcame their fear. Now, we were talking last week, I think it was talking Wednesday, about goal setting. Just We see it here with Nehemiah. We, we were talking about setting smart goals and stretch goals. And we took some time and talked about that out of the book of Ephesians. But again, it's a principle. You see it here in the book of Nehemiah. He said, here's what I'm going to go do. Here's what I'm going to go accomplish. I've got a great work. I've got a great God. I've got a great calling. Here's a measurable goal. Here's an achievable goal. But then also, here's a goal that only God can accomplish it. We set God, it's, we're supposed to have a vision and set these kind of goals. But there's another principle when it comes to that. When opposition comes, we sometimes have to ask ourselves a question. Because it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. There's going to be some hard times ahead. And so you've got to remember, what are you going to do then? You know what you do? You stop and ask yourself this question. Why am I doing this? Why am, I, why am I still standing and determined in this marriage, in this church, in this relationship? Why am I going through this? Why should I keep going? And we need, we need to answer that question is this. Because God's got a great work for me. This is a goal that God has given me. This is a place I can get to. And when we, we acknowledge that and we remember why we're doing this. Why we are giving our lives to serve. I mean, it's not always easy. And let me tell you something. We talk about God getting, bringing us in, putting together broken lives. Uh, the, the world sometimes calls it people coming with baggage. Many of us come with baggage. And I want you to know something. When they started bringing me to church, they were getting kind of a headache sometimes. They were getting a handful sometimes. They were getting a heartache sometimes. Because you know what? If you're going to reach out to the hurt and the broken of this world, you're going to have a little bit of frustration. You're going to have some times where you're taking advantage of, why am I doing this? Why am I putting up with this? Oh yeah, I know why. I'm doing this because this is what God's calling me to do. I'm doing this because I'm making a difference. I'm doing this because my ultimate goal is to glorify God and therefore this is, this is just something along the way. That's why I'm doing this. You know, Trey, you talked about the, the reaper, that hill, that, they, that final hill they had to climb. 
after uh, their their crucible week and and uh, and climbing the reaper, you got to ask yourself the question when you're trying to get up that hill, when you're trying to get uh, through that crucible. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this to become a marine. I'm doing this to provide a better life for my family. I'm doing this. I mean, you you go through something hard and you remind yourself why you're going through it. See, there's trouble. So in chapter four, there's this trouble that they bring. In chapter five, there's trouble from within. They begin to mistreat each other, take advantage of each other in chapter number 5. What do they do there? They address the problem head on. See, now for our church, for the first time in our church's history, we're going to make it be making different we're going to be making decisions like what color is the siding going to be? Or is it going to be siding? We're going to be making the the decision of what color do we want on the walls? What kind of carpet do we want? What kind of you know, I mean, uh, oh, we're going to be making decisions about what, which space is going to be used for this. Oh, I'm claiming this one and I'm claiming the other one or whatever. We're making decisions that we've never had to make. But I tell you, we've got to guard from uh, troubles from within. We must remember to defer one to another and we must remember to keep any rivalries out of this whatsoever. Well, our ministry is doing a lot more, so we deserve to have more say, you know. No, we're helping one another. We're working together. There's no rivalries. There's none of this. We're, we're deferring one to another. We're trying to uh, help. And I'm telling you, as time goes on, God's going to provide more and more space, I believe. And I believe we're going to have the space. But I'm just saying, we're going to be making decisions that we've not made. We've got to guard against that, in, that trouble from within. We've got to guard from the fear that arises within. Repeatedly throughout the book of Nehemiah, repeatedly through the Bible, that Satan tries to get them to fear. Uh, tries, to, tries to get them upset. Tries to get them to doubt God. Adolf Hitler wrote, mental confusion, contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, panic. These are our weapons. He talked about the psychological nature of warfare. These are our weapons. Fear paralyzes you. Fear, by the way, is contagious. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. If you're fearful, you are not living in faith. Now what's fear look like? Fear looks like this. Fear looks like worry and anxiety. That's fear. Fear looks like not believing God to supply your needs. Fear means not believing God to th th that you are the victor that He said you were. Fear comes in so many different forms. And it's crippling. It's crippling. Uh, frightened people discourage others and help bring defeat. Frightened people, fearful people. See, the city was surrounded by enemies. To the north were the Samarites. To the east was Tobiah and the Ammonites. To the south there was Geshem and the Arabs. To the west there was the Ashadites. But there were more for them, there were more for Nehemiah than there was of those armies around them. See, sometimes when you look around us, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you ever feel surrounded? The Bible says we need to look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. In the book of 2 Kings chapter number 6, uh, Elisha told his servant, you see that we're surrounded by an army, two men surrounded by an army. He said, you need to look beyond that army. 
You need to learn to look beyond your problem and see something greater with the eye of faith. And the, 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 the servant's eyes were open and there was a, a number of angelic heavenly hosts, an army that surrounded that other army. That seemed big, but until you compared it to God's strength, it didn't look so big anymore. Got to learn to look at the right things. Fear. They were surrounded. But listen, there is victory. The Christian's battle is not against flesh and blood. If we focus on the visible enemy alone and forget the invisible enemy, we are sure to start trusting our own resources. And this will lead to defeat. Uh, discouragement. Fear leads to discouragement. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10. Pressures from without often create problems from within. One of the things that we've got to be sure not to do is do not agree with the enemy. What do you mean by that? The children of Israel, you remember when they were about to go into the promised land? And he says, we were in, in their sight as grasshoppers and so in our sight. Yeah. Amen. In other words, they agreed with the enemy. If you're agreeing that you're a loser and can't accomplish anything, you're agreeing with the enemy. If you're saying, oh, preacher, we'll never be able to build much more than that over there. We'll never be able to, you know, you talk about reaching out, we'll never be able to do that. And I mean, I understand that there's, there's a thing of doubt, but, but preacher, there's no way that we can keep preaching this book. You know, we've got to find more ways to appeal to people besides the Bible. You know, in other words, we've we got to make sure that we don't agree with the enemy. These people begin to agree with the enemy. You know what they said? We are not able. We are not able. Hey, there's a great work to be done. In, in the book of Nehemiah, it's so cool. I wish you'd study it. We don't have time to look at all of it. But it's so awesome to think about. It, it wasn't just the men going out here and doing a work. The Bible says it would be the man on this section of the wall with his wife, with his kids, and they're all out there working together. Doing a work for God. There's a work to be done. And if, you, and if God's calling you to do a work, if God's calling you to preach, if God's calling you to be a missionary, if God's calling you to teach, if He's calling you to do something outside of your comfort zone, if God's calling you, don't say you're not able. Well, maybe there's part, there may be truth that you're not able, but God's able. If you'll surrender your life to Him. But the point is, make sure that we're not agreeing with the enemy. We are not able is the rallying cry of all those who take their eyes off the Lord and start looking at themselves and their problems. Again, we mentioned the family. All of them were armed. All of them were working together. But through all of this, we need to have some power. We have power and we need uh, some perspective. So we talked about warring on the wall. And I'll close with this. Winning on the wall. Winning on the wall. Hello? Winning is what we'll do with the help and grace of God. As certain as the problems are. I told you problems would come. But I want to say just as certain as the problems come, God's providential power and victory in our lives is promised as well. Amen. Amen. Listen, the Bible says a few things about these people. It says they had a mind to work in verse 6. Uh, this is going back to chapters 2 and 3. They had a, a mind to work, a heart to pray. They had an eye to watch and an ear to hear. And God gave them victory. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Notice a couple verses with me here. Notice first of all, uh, chapter 4 again and verse number 20. This is the perspective that we've got to have. Folks, whatever obstacles we may face as we go forth, as a group, as individuals, I love this, verse 20, In what place therefore you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Notice this, Our God shall fight for us. Amen. Amen. Mark it down. Our God will fight for us. Your God will fight for you. And I'm telling you, it may be one thing for me to get in the fight. That may not be real uh, scary. But I tell you, you get God in that fight, things are going really good really fast. Amen? He's a big God. I mean, listen. I mean, I remember a time when the children of Israel were surrounded by the Syrian army, the brutal uh, Syrian army. Uh, They weren't sure what they were going to do. I'm telling you, they were overwhelmed. They were weakened. They had nothing else to offer. But I'm telling you, God spoke and one angel went and killed about a quarter of a million so soldiers that night and one night one angel it don't matter what's rising up against us our god is bigger your god is bigger we are more than conquerors through him that loved us i mean listen god shall fight for you i like this notice chapter 6 verse 15 quickly chapter 6 and verse number 15 the bible says so the wall was finished <laughs> and the 20 and 5th day of the month In 50 and 2 days it was finished. You know what? One day our work is going to be finished and we'll be able to stand before the Lord. There's going to be enemy after enemy that come along. But child of God, let me tell you something. By the grace of Almighty God, when when our work is finished, we'll be able to stand before God. Amen? And don't you want to be there as Elk Point Baptist Church and saying their work is finished. Amen? Amen? They did what they could. They did what they were called to do. I like what the Bible says in Isaiah 54 verse 17. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about perspective. I'm talking about attitude. Somebody says attitude determines your altitude. Some of you need an attitude adjustment. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says, No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Amen. There is not a weapon that Satan could use that will have power and prosper over you. Unless you let it. Yeah. That's kind of the key. Unless you let it. But, but otherwise, Satan cannot defeat us. Unless we let him. I mean, we're victorious. We're in Christ. The work goes on for the glory of God. Our God shall fight for us. The Lord will give the victory. The Lord will continue to build Elk Point Baptist Church and the ministries that go out of this church. The Bible says He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And then I'll close with this. We've read this a couple times there in chapter, chapter number 4. But no matter what the workers were doing or where they labored on the wall, they all kept their ears open. You know what they were listening for as they worked? And as they warred? And as they did what they could? And as they worked together, they were listening for the trumpet to sound. He said, when you hear the trumpet sound, we need to gather together. I'm glad the Bible says that the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel at the last trump. And the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with Him. Uh, Listen, folks, the Lord's coming again. Are you listening for the trumpet? I mean, listen, this is not it. 
This is not the end. Our Lord is returning. He just as sure as He came the first time, just as sure as He rose again, He's coming back the second time. Amen. So keep on laboring. Keep on working. Uh, stay faithful. Yes! The battles are here. Yes, the battles are coming. Yes, they're greater than many of us. But there's not one of them, and all of them together, uh, cumulative, are not compared anything to our God. Amen? Let's all stand, please. And Warring and working. Working and warring. Child of God, keep in the battle. It's going to get so hard. You're going to get so aggravated with yourself from time to time. I certainly do. You might get aggravated with me sometimes. But you can't get any more aggravated at me than I get aggravated at me. I'll promise you that much. But it's not about me, amen? Miss Song, if you'd come play. It's not about me. It's about the Lord, amen? It's about the work that He's called us to. And I want to say this. this I was primarily preaching to those that are saved this morning, but there's anybody here and you do not know Christ as your Savior. You do not need religion. You don't need church. You do not need to turn over a new leaf. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you need Christ today. He will save you. He will forgive you. He will change your life. He will put you right with God. He will put you in the right relationship with God. He will take care of your sins, which nothing else can take care of but the blood of Christ. If you'll turn to Him today, you feel like you're missing something. You feel like you're searching for something. I, I'm going to get it one of these days. No, you're never going to really get what you're looking for until you know Christ. Amen. And if you're here today and you don't know Him, i got good news for you. The Bible says when He died on the cross, He died there to purchase salvation for you and for me. He purchased a gift. He offers that gift to you right now. The gift of God is eternal life, the Bible says. How do I accept it, preacher? More good news. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Are you willing to turn to Him today? Are you willing to call on His name? He will save you today. If you pray a prayer, maybe you'd like to pray along with me today. A prayer something like this. Dear Lord, I admit to You today that I'm a sinner. I admit to You today that I'm in need of salvation. Lord, please, dear God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life and be my Savior. In Jesus' name. If you pray a prayer like that from your heart, the words are just words. But if you can from your heart call on the Lord. The Bible says with the heart, man, believeth unto righteousness. And please share that with me or someone before you leave here if you called on the Lord today. Listen, and the change can begin in your life. You can't do it on your own, but there's a great big old God that will do it.